You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters, because accounting matters. Today's episode is episode two of our four-part ESG mini-series. Specifically, we are taking a deeper look at the E, the environmental considerations, and how they play out at a business, especially when it comes to emissions. Our guests today are Caroline Willett and Fabian Garavito, both senior managers who are on the front lines implementing some of these things for an oil and gas client of Embark. They have a unique perspective and visibility into how the E is playing out in the real world. We hope you enjoy the episode and learn something new. This is Sarah Cage Richter, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Olson, Embark's accounting advisory practice leader. Also joining us today, we brought back Fabian Garavito from our ESG introduction episode. And we also have Caroline Willett, a senior manager in Dallas, another second time guest of the show. Welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) And today we are talking about the E in ESG, or really the first half, so maybe eh, ESG. Yeah, you guys can laugh, it's okay. (laughs) Not all jokes can be winners. Anyways, I I I know there's... (laughs) Adam always likes my puns. I got another one for you. There's a lot to unearth here as it relates to environmental and climate related ESG matters. But before we start, can we talk about the basics about what is meant when we say environment within ESG? So at the basic level, the E in ESG is focused on measuring the environmental impact and sustainability of any particular company or industry. So the key reporting areas or topics within this space mostly center around emissions, carbon footprint, material disposal, resource management, um, efficiency, sustainability practices, and future environmental goals. So I think it's fair to say sustainability, climate change, and other environmental concerns are a key focal point in our modern society. So how has this shift impacted businesses? Yeah, I would say environmental concerns used to be more fringe territory for activists and really only widely visible in the wake of a major disaster. But today, more and more customers are backing sustainable products and in some cases are willing to pay more for them. Investor focus also continues to shift to socially responsible companies. And industries are subject to um, more local and global regulations. So the E in ESG also considers a company's utilization of natural resources and the effect of its operations on the environment, both directly from the company's operations, but also across its supply chain. So the environmental factor examines a company's environmental disclosure, environmental impact, and its efforts to reduce carbon emissions. All of these are issues that represent tangible risks and opportunities for stakeholders and uh, stockholders alike. And we're seeing that companies that neglect to consider the effects of their policies and practices on the environment may actually be exposed to greater financial risk as well. So without taking appropriate action to curtail carbon emissions or protect against environmental incidents like oil spills or mining explosions, uh, companies can face governmental or regulatory sanctions, criminal prosecution, and reputational brand damage, which all risk harming shareholder value. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting point. Um, one thing, you know, we're also seeing a lot of businesses do is work towards kind of like that net zero goal for their emissions. We see 
in the news, you'll see a lot of public companies, you know, publicizing their goal dates, you know, setting targets for 2040 or 2050. There's countries that are, you know, joining in, in, in connection with this, with the Paris Climate Agreement. Can you guys maybe just, for those that aren't familiar with kind of the net zero concept and strategy, just explain what is meant by that? So unless you've been living under a rock, it's not news that scientists have been sounding alarms for years that greenhouse gas emissions need to be reduced and that we're seeing unrepairable changes to the planet through climate change. And, and one big example of, of this is the, the hole in the ozone layer, right? That's a, that's a big one. Uh, now, as a response to these alarms, investors, customers, employees, governments, and regulators uh, around the world are compelling companies to take action uh, and make climate a focus in their strategy. Now, this is where a company's net zero strategy comes into play, right? So net zero essentially means a balance where the greenhouse gases emitted by your company are offset by those removed. So is it fair to say here that this is something also like easier said than done? You know, obviously what you're trying to achieve sounds simple on paper, but obviously it's not an easy task to get there. So what are some ways, you know, companies are strategizing to help achieve these net zero target dates? Yeah, so there's there's not a one size fits all approach with anything related to ESG. Uh, net zero strategy is no different, right? So some of these the more common strategies that companies are taking can in, include things like investments in uh, or moving towards renewable energies. This could either be a direct investment into a renewable energy project or switching operating facilities to more climate friendly sources. Uh, another strategy is through carbon offset programs, which allows companies to invest in projects to offset or reduce their greenhouse gas emissions uh, that they produce. So companies typically uh, purchase these to offset their own emissions that cannot be eliminated. Additionally, carbon offsets are intended to represent uh, an actual reduction to one ton of carbon dioxide or, or greenhouse gas. Again, another strategy is through investments in technology or automation. So companies can they may undertake capital projects to improve the efficiency, cost, and effectiveness of their operations and essentially reduce emissions. Examples of something like this can include electrification, which is replacing technologies that run from fossil fuels like natural gas with those that utilize electricity. Companies can also make changes to buildings or infrastructure, uh, such as green certifying buildings or adding solar panels to the roof of a building or maybe a parking garage or a parking lot. Yeah, no, that, those are, you know, obviously things that we hear a lot about companies, you know, investing in and doing. So definitely some great strategies there. So speaking of emissions, I know a large component of ESG efforts really center around an organization's greenhouse gas emissions and also just reporting around those emissions. Can you maybe talk a little bit today um, what the lay of the land looks like as far as it goes with greenhouse gas emission reporting? So currently... There isn't a single consistent standard that's required for calculating and reporting greenhouse gas emissions, but much of the current guidance references the GHG protocol, which was created by the World Resources Institute and the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. So it's a it's a really helpful reference because it provides a clear step-by-step -step guide for companies to use to actually quantify and report their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, with the goal of creating international consistency and transparency um, for the greenhouse gas emissions reporting process. So as it relates to emissions as well, I know some of these different 
um, standards and governing bodies out there, you know, speak to different scopes of admissions. Can you talk maybe a little bit about the different types of scopes of emissions and maybe give some examples of, you know, what would fall under each type? Sure. So scope one, two, and three GHG emissions uh, are intended to differentiate between direct and indirect environmental impacts of a company's operations. So scope one emissions are the direct emissions from company-owned or operated sources. For example, the image that comes to my mind when I think about pollution, for example, the large industrial plant with the smokestack that's billowing plumes of chemicals into the air, uh, assuming that that facility is owned by the company, they would include those GHG emissions in the scope one category um, because they're directly emitting those gases as part of their operations. But maybe a more common example of scope one for most companies would be emissions from gasoline or diesel consumed by vehicles that the company owns. Scope two includes GHG emissions from purchased electricity consumed by the company. Um, so the primary source of scope two emissions is the electricity that's purchased at a company's office buildings or warehouses to keep the lights on or keep the machines running. And then finally, uh, scope three accounts for all of the other indirect emissions in the operation of the company. So uh, it can be a little hard to wrap our heads around scope three GHG emissions because it captures the environmental impact of inbound activities, um, such as the emissions that are generated in producing materials that the company purchases, uh, as well as outbound activities like emissions related to disposing of waste generated by the company. And then even the emissions that result from employee flights or Uber rides for business travel are included in scope three. So really broadens the scope of what companies may need to consider uh, when beginning to quantify and report this category. So when I imagine measuring emissions, I see like two cups of water being poured into the same container. That sounds really complex to determine whose emissions are whose. So how do you even go about figuring out who's emitting what? The first thing we need to do is set organizational boundaries. Uh, and this is essentially your consolidation structure, similar to what you would have for your financial statements. Uh, in setting organizational boundaries, a company selects an approach for consolidating greenhouse gas emissions and then consistently applies the selected approach to define those businesses and operations that constitute the company for purposes of accounting uh, and reporting for greenhouse gas emissions. So you mentioned approaches. Could you maybe talk through some of the more common approaches you've seen used and how might a company determine which one is the best fit for them? Yeah, so the greenhouse protocol offers two different approaches, uh, the equity share approach and the control approach. So we can quickly touch on the equity share approach on a high level. So under the equity share approach, a company accounts for greenhouse gas emissions from operations according to its share of equity in the operation. This is essentially your percentage ownership in that operation or entity. Uh, a couple of things that are important to note. This is a very simple explanation, very high level. The, the actual analysis will be a lot more in depth, but you also want to determine uh, if there is economic substance, right? So 
you can look at a company and say, well, if I own less than 50%, I probably won't consolidate it. But if there is economic substance, chances are you will consolidate those greenhouse gases into, into your own reporting. Again, this process would take an in-depth analysis and should involve other parties like accounting and legal departments to make sure that you're doing it properly and you are applying a consistent approach across the board. So the second approach is the control approach. Under the control approach, a company accounts for 100% of the greenhouse gases from operations over which has, it has control over. Now, control can be defined either as operational or financial control. Under operational control, a company has operational control over an operation if the company or one of its subsidiaries has the full authority to introduce and implement its operating policies on the operation. Under financial control, the company has financial control uh, over the operation if the company has the ability to direct the financial and operating policies of the operation in order to gain economic benefits from its activities. So once a company knows who falls under its umbrella to consider for emissions, how do they figure out whose emissions are whose? Yeah, so after a company has determined its organizational boundaries in terms of the operations that it owns or controls, it then sets its operational boundaries. This involves identifying emissions and choosing the scope of accounting and reporting for either direct or indirect emissions. So as Caroline mentioned, there are different scopes of emissions which indicate different types of emissions, direct versus indirect, scope one versus scope two and scope three. So in summary, setting operational boundaries essentially establishes the separating lines between those scopes. Awesome. I think that's a great place for us to stop today. You guys have emitted plenty of knowledge for our audience. So thank you, <laughs> Fabian and Caroline, for being here. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. In our next episode, we'll pick back up on environmental considerations and uh, finish this one out. So make sure you come back next time. And thank you for following along on another episode of Accounting Matters. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.